Hey, everybody. This week we'll be mixing or blending it up. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about the first stage of finishing wines that are being made, which is blending. So sometimes blending isn't needed, but most winemakers like to add different varietals together or especially different barrels together um, to make a final wine that they're going to put in bottle and sell to a consumer or share with friends. So when it gets to that time, most winemakers taste through wine, their their barrels or their lots, and then they try out kind of a general blend before they actually start mixing full barrels together. So today, that's what we're going to talk about, that process of tasting and prepping to finish out your wines. I'm Haley. This is Ashley. We are Whole Cluster Conversation. Let's start out with talking about like when a winemaker says to me, hey, I'm blending wine. What exactly are they meaning? And can you define what that blending is? When a winemaker says they're blending wine, it can mean a couple different things. One is actually mixing wines together. And that is kind of the second stage of the blending process. And in case anybody's curious or worried that we're not going to talk about that, we are. We just broke this into two episodes. So today we're going to talk about the first part of blending that winemakers will talk about, which is mixing together things so that they can taste them and make sure they're a good fit together. Wine is this really cool, weird, living thing. And just because you have a really fruity wine, and then you have a wine that was maybe a new oak, so it's got a lot of oak um, and tannin. Just because you mix those two wines together doesn't mean they're going to be a sum of their parts. Sometimes things get canceled out. Sometimes um, things get um, enhanced that you didn't necessarily want in your profile. So like maybe the fruitiness really comes through, but you wanted the oak to come through. Um, So... That can be what winemakers talk about when they're blending is they want to try things out. And that's kind of what tasting or field tasting can mean for winemakers too. So mostly people will talk about blending and be talking about tasting their wines together and like making different blends or the actual physical act of like pumping all the wine into a big tank. (laughs) So those are the two definitions of blending. Okay, so then um, that's really cool. I hadn't thought about that or realized the the sum of the parts part of yeah. it. That just seems intuitive so that it would be right. like, oh, you mix this and this. Like I mix orange juice and cranberry juice and they make this Orange cranberry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so I would just assume, but that's, I, I'm excited to dive into that a little bit later. But first, uh or, or next, let's just, you mentioned this field tasting. What does mm-hmm. that mean? What is that for winemakers? Most winemakers, when they're, uh, as the wine is aging, they're going to mm-hmm. taste through barrels or tanks as they're aging, just to make sure mm-hmm. nothing is going funny. During fermentation, that's like every day, multiple times a day, they're going to be smelling and tasting. But once wines are in the barrel, maybe it's once every couple months, maybe it's less than that, depending on how their program and, and how stable their wines are. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be my definition of kind of field tasting is like actually in the barrel room with a wine thief, like pulling a little bit of wine out of a barrel 
or if, if you have things in tank, pulling a little wine out of tank, tasting it to make sure things are heading in the direction for aging that you want them to. Mm-hmm. And um, then when you get more to this blending stage or finishing wine stage, you're going to be really paying attention to what you're tasting and saying, oh, you know, our Syrah every year has a little bit of that um, black pepper flavor to it. And these two barrels don't really have it, but that those six barrels over there do. So we want to make sure that those six barrels make it into our Syrah rather than our blend. Or Those yeah. are kind of the things going on in a winemaker's head when they're tasting through. Um, and different winemakers have different ways of doing this. Sometimes they literally are in a barrel room and they just kind of pull a little bit out of each barrel mm-hmm. with a wine thief and they say, that's the blend. We're going to do those three barrels together. Um, it also depends on the size of an operation. Yeah. The blending that I've seen done at kind of mid-sized wineries, which I would say are um, like 5,000 to 15,000 cases mm-hmm. a year would be you take a sample, depending on, again, how you do things, um, yeah. you take a sample from each barrel or each lot, if you know you're going to mm-hmm. keep the lot together, and yeah. you taste that, and then you kind of mix it with other things, depending on the types of blends you want to make. Okay. So, um, I think about that's this is it's complicated, know, re- but also it's complicated, <laughs> but I really, yeah, I, but it seems to me like the fun aspect of winemaking. And the other thing that came to my mind when you were talking about was with whiskey making mm. that that's a common thing that, yeah, is is done. I just, I have to make associations for things that I know a little bit about. It's great. Yeah. Cause so, so many other people have those associations too. Yeah. And I just think about when I went to Scotland and saw, and we went through the the processes and they would talk about that. And yeah. then the whiskey makers would oftentimes with whiskey say, Ooh, I like how it's tasting right now. And they pull enough and bottle like one bottle. Oh, right? cool. Yeah. So David, my husband got, uh, one bottle from, uh, oh, I can't even remember one place. Um, oh, I think it was Springbank, which is one of his favorite distilleries. Um, and he got one bottle that was just one of the things that the the whiskey maker was like, Ooh, I really like how it's tasting right now. I'm going to pull this bottle right now. Is that in some ways it's, it seems like that's kind of what the the tasting process is doing is getting to that point of like when we're going to choose to put it to bottle, do people ever do little mini things maybe for just themselves or friends Mm -hmm. that are just like a couple? Because I know that the the wine will age and and continue to change flavor as well. Especially bottle versus barrel, it'll change differently and things like Uh that. There's definitely a trend that small wineries or big, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what size you are. If you yeah. have a customer come in and they're like, I love this wine just right now. We did a barrel, t- barrel tasting. It's so good. So if they have the ability to, sometimes people will pull a bottle and, and go ahead and cork it and send it home with people. Uh-huh. Because wine is so much lower in alcohol than whiskey yeah. is, it's a little more complicated to than, um, than whiskey. Like if you pull a, a bottle of wine out of a barrel or a tank, Mm-hmm. then you're going to need to replace that liquid with something oh. um, so that you don't have headspace or ullage in the actual vessel that you're pulling it out of. 
So, that makes a lot of sense. And if you start replacing it with too much, say, water or what, or something else, or or blending into another, you're just starting to change your mm-hmm. your taste profile so much. Yeah, but okay. I will say something that I was going to ask you later on, but this is kind of a good spot to put it in. Is have you ever seen like local wineries or wine shops doing a blending class? I think I have. Um, I recently. Um, was driving and I was at a stoplight. Well, I wasn't driving. My husband was driving. I was, you know, in the car looking around and (laughs) I noticed next to actually one of my favorite plant shops, you know, being my love plants, I (laughs) saw this sign on what appeared to be a house for this wine place. And I was, I forgot its name, but um, I looked it up and found out that it is a places they have uh, a Seattle one and a Portland one and they offer wine classes and I thought oh my gosh that's so cool and I do think that that was one of their things of blending um so that is out there for you all that is a little different and I just looked it up it's the wine and spirit archive is what you sent to me so we can go ahead and put that into into our yeah, Show I notes, assumed but... by the name that it was going to be, and the fact that it just looked like a house, that it was going to be like <laughs> some speakeasy wine and spirit bar place. So, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a little bit more than that. But Yeah. Um, there's So the reason I ask is because that's going to be more of an environment where they have they kind of have it c- controlled. And so uh-huh. if you blend something at your table and you're like, I love this wine that I made today at this yeah. class that I'm taking, or um, there's a couple other wineries that... Um, there, there are some wineries that I've seen that have really made it a thing. Like you go in, you blend your own wine and you can buy one, six, 12 bottles of that blend. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but okay. those classes are more designed um, in a controlled way to be able to experiment with this, taste wines on their own, taste wines like as you blend them together. If you're with a group of friends, it's really fun because you really start to understand the nuances in friends' mm-hmm. palates. If you're oh. able to talk about them and say like, this one tastes like this. I like this one more because it tastes like this. Um, yeah. And But that's more of a situation where you're going to see wineries or maybe wine education places if they do a blending class yeah. uh, offer kind of that one one bottle of your own blend or one bottle from the barrel type of thing. Um, do those blending classes like that is that blending from bottled wine though or from barrels I think it just depends on the place um so I know that Talaya here in Boise does one and it's out of barrels and you have I don't know how many they're doing now when I was with them they were like four or five different wines at your seat and you Mm kind of go through and you taste each one you write little notes on what you like from each one and then you have a set of beakers and you kind of get to start adding you know I want 25% of this wine and 50% of that wine and 10% of this one and so you get to and then you get to tweak it and say oh whoa that one was way too smoky I want to add more of the fruity wine to see if that brings out some more fruity characteristics and things like that Okay. okay if you're doing a really good blending class at a, at a winery, I would say you're going to have the experience to taste wine from a neutral barrel, mm. wine from like a heavy toast uh, or some, it just depends, but um, different toast levels, I should say, or different cooperages. So maybe the winery mm. only gets medium toast barrels, but they get medium toast barrels from France and medium toast barrels from Italy. And so getting to taste those different 
cooperages and understand mm-hmm. the nuances in that oak, but it's yeah. the same wine maybe is really yeah. cool. I was going to say, I think it would be really fun to taste it if if this was at all possible, which I don't <laughs> think, but taste it like in the, some bad, the plastic like fermenting barrel to the like oh, yeah. age because then that's like getting real, real neutral to mm-hmm. like you know barrel neutral to right I had never thought of that and just like understanding how that flavor complex comes in yeah that is so cool yeah okay so but that's kind of going into a different way than like what winemakers usually are using blending for that's more of the consumer side of blending and educating um, someone who doesn't necessarily deal with this every day but I think that even as a winemaker, those types of experiences I could see as really valuable to better understand when you're doing it at a larger production. Oh, and as, yeah. And as people are getting into the winemaking process to have that, and maybe even if you are a more experienced winemaker to still sometimes step back and say, hey, let's go back to the roots and like maybe look at these things so that I can make some different decisions or, right. or new stuff and maybe, you know, improve on some of my techniques that I've been doing. Definitely. It's always, I mean, it's hard as a winemaker, if you're well, if you're in an area where people know who you are, Mm -hmm. this is, that's, it's not, there's no way this is going to come out (laughs) sounding Well, they're going to, people expect something from a particular winemaker. Right. And it's going to be hard in the Portland metro area. Like that's a pretty tight knit community. So if you're like, Hey, I really want to come to your blending class because I want to be able to taste different things. And I want to like have this experience either consumers that are there and to know who you are are going to be like, whoa, why are you taking this blending class? Like what's going on? Or the other owner might be like, well, I don't know how I feel about you kind of coming in and stealing our thunder. And maybe that's not, I mean, that's all total speculation, but it's really fun as a winemaker to go to a region where you can be totally anonymous and get to do some of these things because Mm -hmm. like they're super fun and you don't want to step on anybody's toes and you don't like... Yeah, but but yeah. being able to participate in them is is a blast and getting to hear like what consumers cuz for the longest time I was like blending classes we're not going to do them it's too hard the logistics are crazy. Mm-hmm. And then the first blending class we finally did at Talaya was a huge success and yeah. people loved it and it was something that they asked us to keep doing and even though it was logistically hard, it was possible. And so Mm -hmm. I just had to figure out, okay, if we do it this way, it's way easier than if we do it that way and that kind of stuff. And once we got around that hurdle, it was so fun to hear how excited people were to blend their own wines and get to take home a little bottle of it. Oh, I was going to say from my ecology perspective, I do that all the time. And it's I mean, I guess I'm the type of person that always feels like I can learn more. And so to me, I have definitely gone incognito to different <laughs> events and not said like, hi, I'm actually the ecologist that has a master's in all of this. Um, because if nothing else, what I get out of sometimes going to some of these classes is learning how to use different vocabulary to yeah. reach different types of audiences and just see things from a different perspective that sometimes, and it just takes me out. But I also go into those classes kind of knowing that that's what I'm going to get out of it um, and not necessarily always like knowing or knowing that I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah, 
I'm getting all this information that's new to me. Maybe I do know it. And so (laughs) that's, that's, if you are on that spectrum, I could see that that's why it is. But okay. Yes. I wanted to ask really quickly before we get into some of the more like nuances of like the tasting and why you do it and what blending things you're going to do. Right. Is I was reading this article about blending and winemakers and in it, the winemaker said that along with harvest, which I think we all know, recognize like harvest is the big time when winemakers are really busy. They always talk about harvest, but they said blending is the other time of the year that they feel like they are actually making wine. Can you (laughs) relate to this feeling and why, you know, maybe expand on, on why that is? Right. Uh, yeah, I can relate to that. Um, so when at 3100, we don't blend, we keep mm-hmm. things single lots and I don't, we don't plan to blend in the future, but you never say never. Okay. Um, but at Talaya, when I was um, working for them and on their winemaking team, it was one of the times of year. So let me back up. When you do harvest, you're working with the wine like every day. Lots of times a day, you're doing punch downs, you're checking temperatures, you're making sure nothing gets stinky, all these things. And then once you kind of get it to it, so you make sure everything's made, you get it into barrel, Mm -hmm. um, you might still be working with it a a couple times a week or whatever, if it's going through malolactic, making sure it's, it's doing okay and staying healthy. And then when it goes into the barrel room and you kind of, it's stable and it's ready to age, Mm -hmm. it's kind of uh, off your plate. Like you don't, unless you're topping, you know, trying to fill up that empty space where you've, you've had some wine or water, uh, or water content Mm -hmm. evaporate. There's not a whole lot that you do with the wine. So when you get to the blending part, Mm -hmm. you get to revisit all of this wine that you've helped to make and like, uh, kind of shepherd along into becoming from grapes into wine. Mm -hmm. And then after you decide, which things go well together and you actually physically start putting things into a tank together, like that actual blending, not mm-hmm. just figuring out what you're going to blend. That is a, a pretty big part of the winemaking process of like, okay, we're, we got 50 barrels out today and we're putting all of them into a tank to make sure that, that everything is good. And then we're going to, depending on the winemaking style, sometimes you'll put them back into barrel, actually. You'll clean all your barrels and put them back into age to integrate further as a blended wine. And mm-hmm. sometimes you just leave them in that tank and you bottle it. So okay. definitely I can relate to that. And I agree that it's one of the times as a winemaker where you feel like you can tweak things, you can you can have more of a <laughs> influence on the wines than just if you were to let them do nothing or you were to do nothing to them. Um, so yeah, it's a fun winemaking time and something that as a home winemaker, because of the volume that you're making, you don't always have as much of a ability to do. What are some of the characteristics when you're talking about blending that you are looking for? Like, I mean, maybe it's kind of what you were getting at earlier with the oaky, the peppermint, like, mm-hmm. like peppermint. I don't know why I said <laughs> it's Christmas. Peppermint. <laughs> well, when you listen to this episode, you guys, it's not going to be Christmas anywhere, but <laughs> it's going to be Christmas soon, a couple days. Uh, it's going to be peppery. I don't know. Maybe there's a peppermint in a wine. I don't know. That sounds weird, but maybe. I have heard menthol in a couple descriptions and I'm like, huh, 
I think, yeah, it's possible. <laughs> okay, sorry. So what kind of characteristics are you looking for? When a winemaker's blending, there's some practicality to it. So if you, most wineries are, are going to do barrel aging. Uh, I shouldn't say most. Some wineries do barrel aging. This is really kind of when, those are the types of wineries that I'm really referring to because mm -hmm. that's the experience that I have. So if I am not uh, talking about, you know, these huge wineries with, you know, multi thousand gallon tanks and blending, mm -hmm. sorry guys, <laughs> um, but that's just not, I don't know a lot about it. I'm sure they do some sort of blending, but the practicality side of it in those huge wineries and even the teeny tiny wineries is one barrel is about 25 cases of wine. Oh. It's very rare to find a 25 case lot. It just isn't practical to bottle one barrel of wine mm -hmm. in a commercial winery. It's possible, but think about all the cleaning involved, like just cleaning everything and getting everything ready to bottle. It's yeah. it's so much, and you lose a lot of wine. You know, you think about when you run your pumps to get everything into the bottler, like you lose a little bit of wine to push the water out of the lines. You lose a little bit of wine to get the machine completely calibrated so that everything's filling to the right levels. So 25 cases. Because what you're referring to, just to pause, mm -hmm. what you're referring to in this is like every time you switch to a new, like, hey, this is the new label bottle, mm -hmm. you're having to clean your entire system. So if you think about all those things that are going into right. making the bot or like putting the wine in the bottle, you're having to flush and clean that yeah. system is what you're And even if to. you're going wine on top of wine, so say you're bottling a Chardonnay and then you're bottling a rosé next and they're and you can do it in the same day you have enough time you might push with wine so you don't need to sanitize everything mm -hmm. but you're gonna have to get most of the chardonnay out before you start doing the rosé otherwise yeah. you're gonna have like a couple of funky cases that kind of are lighter in color and taste more like chardonnay yeah. than rosé or whatever so yeah. the practicality side is you want to have enough wine to make it worth your while to bottle and mm -hmm you want to have consistency. Like you don't want to ha have, if you're saying like, well, the, all of this Chardonnay is the same. So we'll just mm -hmm. pull out of barrel straight into the bottler. That's fine. But if you have 12 different barrels, each barrel is going to be slightly different. Mm -hmm. And if you, especially if you have like new oak and neutral oak in your profile, you're going to have, so you don't want to have like these 25 cases taste way different than those 25 cases, yeah. but nobody knows which is which because we just went straight into the. So most people are going to blend into a big tank and okay. then barrel or, or sorry, bottle from there. When you're doing that though, if you um, are a winemaker, that's a little concerned about making sure their wines are not the same every year, but, but they have a consistent profile. So you don't want to alienate the customer base that you've, painstakingly mm -hmm. built. Uh, mm -hmm. So if you're making a Chardonnay every year, you don't necessarily want to go from 50% neutral oak to 100% neutral oak, because that's going to be a huge change in the way that the wine tastes. So you're going to go through and you're going to taste, you're going to blend the barrels together and taste it and say, okay, how does this compare to the last couple of years? Is this mm -hmm. the same kind of wine we've been making? And some winemakers throw that out the window and they say, I'm, I decided I didn't like that Chardonnay. I'm making a different one this year. And that's totally fine. But for the and most that's part, that's a marketing thing at that point. <laughs> yeah. And for the most part, you're going to want to also warn your customers mm -hmm. <laughs> like, this is a very different wine. So just know that as you're getting into it. Um, and then the other 
characteristics that you're looking for are that you're not, well, two parts of this last thing is um, you might have a barrel that just is off. Like it just doesn't taste quite right. You don't, can't figure out, like it's not necessarily a spoilage organism or maybe it is in early stages and maybe it just doesn't fit into your profile. So mm -hmm. either you need to have so much of the other wine that you can't taste that or mm -hmm. you want to make sure that, so that would be called blending something away. So getting it to the point where it's like diluted enough that it's okay. not noticeable or you decide like this just isn't working. We only blend eight barrels and that's just too much. We can still taste it. We don't like it. So you either decide this is going to go into a different blend than mm -hmm. what we're working on, that it will it'll either be blended away and you can't taste it or it'll enhance something in that other blend. So when you start okay. blending um, and doing blending trials as a winemaker, you kind of need to look at what wines you want to release to start with. So do you want to only release varietals? So is it going to mm -hmm. be 100% Syrah, 100% Cab, 100% Chardonnay, 100% whatever? Or do you want to make a blend? Do you want to have single vineyard stuff? Do you want to mm -hmm. have um, like regional things? So okay. there's, as a winemaker, you've got to go into it with kind of the end goal in mind and then work backwards. Otherwise, okay. you could have two barrel lots all day long because you're like, this tastes great. That tastes great. I love this. It's all different. Yeah. And then yeah. you're just back to kind of, oh, this is not efficient. We've got to figure something out. <laughs> that kind of gets into my question or my next series of questions about um, thinking about blending, like blending multiple different varieties yeah. together versus the, you've kind of talked about the lots and the mm -hmm. different lots and so it sounds like when you say like I'm blending wine it could mean both of those things like hey I'm mixing you know I don't I don't even want to say different varietals because <laughs> I'm afraid I'll like come up with something that you're like that is not a thing after. use ABC <laughs> okay I'm mixing A B and C together which are you know different actual varietals versus like I'm mixing Syrah that came from this lot this lot and this lot or mm -hmm. this this maybe it's a Syrah from this vineyard right. and that vineyard and this other vineyard that's still all Syrah so yeah. both of those are blending yes okay and yeah. th sometimes people will do what's called a co-ferment. So even before you get to the oh. blending stage, way back when you pick your wines and you're starting your fermentation, they'll put wines together. Um, oh, that's and they'll, cool. Yeah. And they'll say like, I know this is, uh, this has a lot more acidity and this has a lot more sugar that's going to make alcohol. So I'm going to put them together because I think they're going to do really well together. So that's still a blend, but you don't necessarily do blending trials for it. Okay. Um, if you're a cautious winemaker, you probably will do a small trial, like depending mm -hmm. on your size, a one ton lot before you're like, let's just put all 20 tons mm -hmm. together. <laughs> yeah. But, um, and then there's also like these really, really big wineries, really, I shouldn't say commercial because wineries, again, that are making thousands of gallons and a tank at a time, a lot of times they will just make a red wine or a white wine and they're putting all of those together. Um, okay. And there's there's um, definitely a lot of thought that goes into that. Like, I don't think it's just that has black skin. That's a red grape. Like we're putting it in the red bin. It's like, hey, we need a certain kind of chemical formula. And if we put this many tons of this and that many tons of that, 
and then we get the right color, we get the right pH, we get the right tradable acidity. So it's definitely, it's, it's come at from an angle of planning. Okay. And they, when you make wine on that scale, you also don't always have the ability to blend because you're mm-hmm. making so much wine that like this red might be different from that red, but you don't have a tank big enough to mix them together. So yeah. they stay separate and they make two different wines. Okay. So that's interesting. I was thinking about the differences, like like what type of differences maybe in flavor or mm-hmm. profile do you get by co-fermenting, doing the, I'm going to call it the pre-blend uh, <laughs> versus the blending after fermentation? Yeah. The Well, I don't have a ton of experience with co-fermentation, but there's a couple of reasons to do it. One would be literally like the size of the lot is so small that it doesn't make sense um, to Mm -hmm. do them separately. Um, Another one would be tradition. (laughs) So um, tradition. (laughs) Yes. Syrah and Viognier is a traditional um, co-ferment in the Rhone region. And people say like the, the, well, first off, depending on the actual amount of co-fermentation, you can actually get, there's some chemical thing that happens where you can get like darker juice from oh. the, even though you're adding white grapes, you can get like darker juice, but that's like, I want to say it's like one to 2% or something. But if you, if you, you know, have 5% Viognier, you're, you're going to get some of those Viognier flavors and aromas, especially if you ferment, um, so that's the tradition side. But then if you look further into the science, when you ferment, um, you're, you're, that change, that chemical change mm-hmm. helps to sometimes make more stable some of these aromas and flavor profiles. So if you're okay. co-fermenting rather than just blending, sometimes they'll be a little more stable. Okay. Um, and sometimes you might even get totally different flavors and aromas that you can't get when you're blending. I, I don't, I don't know exactly, but I'm sure that that could be a case in certain co-fermentations. This is a joke. Just want to leave with that. Um, That's a good one. I laughed really hard. (laughs) I think the color of Tempranillo is beautiful a lot of times. And so can we just like put Tempranillo in all our wines to make it all beautiful colors? (laughs) Again, it's a joke. But that's what I was thinking about with like potential change of colors is like, oh my word. I I know that it's going to not be the beautiful color of that. But yeah, okay. I think, I think my, oh, go. Oh, I was just going to say, we're going to do another, another couple episodes on color because those have been popular and, and fun. I don't know. That's my favorite part of wine or one of them. <laughs> color. Um, I don't know. Um, could we paint with wine? That would yeah, be fun. You can paint uh, with Lee's. I didn't talk about that in our Lee's episode, did I? You could totally use them to paint. Okay, we're going to talk about that later. Um, (laughs) So my last real question is, how does blending transfer over to the label um, and what we actually see on that label? I love this question. Thank you so much for coming up with it. I would not have come up with it on my own. Um, So it total, I mean... It depends on the laws and it depends on the winemaker. Some people okay. don't really want to say like, hey, this is a blend. They'll just, um, they'll put that, you know, if, if it's certain regions have different laws guidelining what you can put on your label. So that will also mm-hmm. direct you. But a lot of places, if it's 
90% of a varietal or 95% Mm -hmm. or even down to 75%, you can put that varietal on the label. And so you also have to think about marketing. So a lot of people know what Syrah is. Not a lot of people know what Pickpool is. Like they're like, what? I've never heard of that. Delicious. (laughs) You should definitely try some Pickpool. Um, But it's so (laughs) if you're trying to cater to an audience that knows what they like and you're like, I just want everybody that likes Syrah, I want them to see my Syrah on a Mm. shelf and pick it up. Then you're probably going to put Syrah on your label. If you're more like 3100 and you're like, we make sparkling wine in Idaho and we want people to be interested in sparkling wine from Idaho. Yeah. We don't really, we'll put our varietals on on the label. We do. They're not on the front. They're on the back. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's more about, and ours aren't blends either. So that's a funny thing. Like we can put varietals on there, but sometimes... Yeah. You know, it's like, well, <laughs> we'd rather you know that it's sparkling wine from Idaho and that's what's important. Yeah. So it totally depends on the marketing. Sometimes you will see like red wine blend. And then you, mm-hmm. if you turn the label over, it'll say what it is. Sometimes it doesn't say what it is. It's it's mm-hmm. kind of, uh, they keep those cards close to their chest and blending is important, but also kind of secretive. Mm-hmm. Different winemakers, it's, it's the same that we've talked about, like different winemakers, different personalities. Some people are like, hey, come on in see what I do. Anybody's welcome to it. And other people are like, I don't, this is not something I share. Um, I don't want you to ask me questions about it. I don't want you taking pictures. I don't want you. (laughs) So it just totally depends. Okay. I have a question for you. So with that, with blending is, but the region plays in right Mm -hmm. on the label. So if you're blending from different like ADAs, that would come into the label. And then the other point I was going to say is, if as a consumer, you were saying that depends on the different laws of the region. So mm-hmm. sometimes maybe even learning like, hey, region like France, you can do this percentage. So when I'm getting a Syrah, back to your example, right. when I'm getting a Syrah from France, it might actually have other things in it versus like maybe, I don't know, let's say the U.S. says, nope, nope, nope. If you have a Syrah on your label, it has to be 95% Syrah. Right. So, okay. Most that's fun. of the times, <laughs> I'll say this, and this is totally generalization. So don't, I know that we have, I'm sure we have a couple of listeners who are like, you said this and it's not true, but uh, this is a generalization. Mostly old world, which equals Europe. Mm-hmm. If they have something on their label, that's like gospel. It has to be like 100% this. But also if you buy, um, I'm going to, I'm not going to be able to think of an example off the top of my head. But um, if you buy something from a region and it has that, like it's like uh, white Borgonia, like that means, oh, shoot, I'm not going to think of what it Isn't is. Isn't Borgonia but- a flower? That begonias are, (laughs) but a white burgundy, Uh like you, that's only going to be, somebody's going to, you know, be upset that I don't know what it is, but guess what? It's not my Chardonnay. I knew it was Chardonnay, but I got nervous. I didn't want to say it and then have somebody be like, no, it's not. It's, (laughs) but so like, so they're not going to have Chardonnay on their label. It's just going to say white burgundy and you're supposed to know it's 100% Chardonnay. <laughs> ah, so okay. there's there's these weird things. But so anyway, my point being, 
Europe is probably going to be the most strict. Then it totally varies by region in the U.S. I don't know so much about other New World. I would say um, they're probably a little more flexible. Um, you know, if, if they say it's a Syrah from Chile, it might be 95% instead of 100%. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but so if you see the other thing that I, I can talk about regionally here is if you see like Washington state red, yeah. that means one of two things, either it's a blend of different AVAs. So they couldn't put one AVA on the bottle mm-hmm. or technically the grapes were picked in one AVA and then they crossed a couple AVAs and were made somewhere else, which is pretty common in Washington state. You think about like a ton of the wine industry is either in Woodenville up near Seattle mm-hmm. or in the Walla Walla um, to Tri-Cities kind of yep. area. So if you're picking something up in Chelan because it's super interesting and then you're trucking it all the way back to Woodenville, you're not going to be yep. able to put that AVA on your bottle. And then I the see. final thing is if you see American wine, like American red wine, American white wine, probably a blend of different states' wines. And oh. you're usually only going to see that either um, from wineries that source grapes from different areas and then choose to blend them together or super big wineries that yeah. like had a fluke year and had to bring in wines from different states and then blend them all together. I think I've seen, I don't think I've ever seen American, and I'm going to look for it now, and I'll probably see it all the time. But I think I've seen, especially in our region, like Pacific Northwest or like Oregon, Washington is really common or or Idaho, Washington, because again, both of us are right there next to Washington and that nice little highway that just easily brings our grapes to Mm -hmm. um, Oregon and uh, Idaho. So I the know other thing, a lot of people mix between those states. Right. And the other thing, when you're in like, Idaho is a growing region. I wouldn't, I don't know mm-hmm. if I would classify it as emerging anymore, but Idaho is a growing wine region. So when you have people getting into the, into the um, industry and they can't, like, there's not they enough grapes to go around. Yeah. So they go to Washington, they go to Oregon, they go to even California and say, I need grapes. I want to yeah. make wine. I've got all my stuff and I just, I'm growing too fast. I can't get enough where I'm from. Like I need more grapes. Yeah. And so it's sense. super common for little okay. guys and really big guys and mid-sized guys. If, if they have a weird year and they just need fruit from somewhere, they might be able to pick up 50 extra tons from a vineyard somewhere in the neighboring state. For sure. We're all friends. And when, you know, all the um, grapes burn up, we help (laughs) our neighbors. So that is a very common thing that's happened probably in the last couple of years. You've noticed a couple of different California and Oregon Mm -hmm. uh, wineries that have ended up sourcing from some other places because of, um, you know, even if it's not yeah, even if they're not getting actual burning at their area, it's because the clouds all you know, yeah. we share, we have, we share <laughs> smoke our, our, our smoke clouds. <laughs> oh. um, anyways. Okay. So Haley, just to wrap it up, is there any other things I should have asked or any other points you want to make? I know that we breeze through a lot of these points, but as you I mentioned, think we really we're going to have to, yeah, I think we're going to have another follow-up episode and, yeah. and go into a different aspects of this. And topic. basically the follow-up will be like, I think we'll get to talk a little bit about kind of tips and tricks Mm -hmm. almost to like blending 
barrels, yeah. especially blending different lots or varieties together to make a finished wine. It's not going to be about the tasting necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's hard sometimes to talk about tastings like this because it all depends on your palate. Like if you yeah. love a super fruit forward wine, you're not going to want to use as much um, new oak in your blends. And that's totally mm-hmm. fine. But um, there's only so much I can tell you like make make your blends mm-hmm. like this, like taste like this. Um, yeah. Because it's it all, preference. yeah, personal preference. So take everything that I said with a little bit of grain of salt, but also mm-hmm. be willing to just go and experiment and have fun and make a balanced wine. I will say that, especially think about your end goal of like, is this wine going to be aged? Is this mm-hmm. wine meant to be consumed in the next two to six months? Is this wine... Two minutes. Yeah, like just <laughs> think about the end game as well. Okay. And I think you'll have fun with blending. Cool. Well, with that, I'll wrap it up. Thank you everybody for listening to this uh, blend of a conversation that we just had. <laughs> I had to throw in one pun, Haley. Um, if you enjoyed this episode of our podcast or just, you know, any of our podcasts in general, please let us know by subscribing and reviewing on the platform you listen. We are also loving some of the suggestions about you guys um, have suggested for some of our future episodes. So please keep sending those in. You can send us an email over at wholeclusterconversation at gmail.com or you can hit us up in our DMs on Instagram or Facebook. Until next week, ciao. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Whole Cluster Conversation. Music provided by Michael Johnson of Grand Falconer. Audio production provided by our friend Ukiah Bogle. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you like to listen. Ciao.